Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors of Cornerstone Church Wirral in Merseyside, and I'm joined by Josh Walsh, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Wirral. And today we're going to be chatting about the culture of God's people being centered on the gospel and what that looks like. We hope that this is going to be useful for the members of the church and really anyone else who is listening as they grow in their faith in Christ and as they step out into all that God has called them to do. This podcast is an extension of the ministry that we already do at Cornerstone Wirral in order to encourage you and equip you as members of the church while you're on mission for Jesus in the world around you. So you're invited into the conversation with Josh and I as we discuss relevant and current topics to equip the church, as well as share those stories that will hopefully encourage you as you step into all that God has before you. So Josh, as always, it's good to chat with you. How have you been this past week? I'm doing good. I've had a fun week. Lots of variety, lots of meeting different people, catching up with people, reading, prayer. Yeah, been what's fun. been some of the highlights of the week for you? Oh, all of that is a highlight. Uh, but particularly, I think I had a fellow church planter uh, come from Birmingham mm-hmm. to hang out for the day. He wanted some help, input, wisdom about his context. And one of the common chats we spent uh, most of the day together talking about those things. And it was just a privilege and joy. Amazing. But, uh, Amazing. What about you, Chris? How's your week been? Yeah, it's it's been really good. The past, the past week has been, yeah, loads of good conversations with people. Um, just thinking, uh, just last week we had a conversation with someone who's looking to get baptized uh, in the upcoming um, baptism service at Easter, and they were sharing with us um, just kind of their story, and that was that's always really cool to hear those 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 stories, or those testimonies of of people's lives. And even in the midst of that, uh, she was saying like how how good it is to listen to this podcast just while tidying the house or while doing the dishes. Um, and so much so that she wanted it to be every single week. Now, I don't know if I've got that within me. Uh, you can talk the length of length of a spade. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, let's hold <laughs> off for a while. We'll see how far we get. Um, but you know what? Actually, one of, the, one of the highlights for me this week, totally different, was Joshua, my son, had, a, had his first ever football tournament. And that was, that was an experience. That was that was a little bit of fun this week. Um, I've never been the the parent supporter on the sideline before, uh, and so I was learning something new. Um, I got very into it. I was that parent. Um, I'm sure if you've ever been at a at a kids sporting event, there's always that parent. I was that guy shouting on. The- trying to direct the kids on the pitch. They're only like eight years old and trying to tell them what to do. They're all crowding around the ball. I'm like, go for space, like turn, don't turn. Um, Joe was mortified, absolutely mortified. Uh, you said a couple of weeks ago in the in the sermon about you taking Ezra uh, to a Man City game and, and discipling him in that opportunity. I think I need some coaching as to how to be a good parent who's <laughs> on the sideline as opposed to maybe what I was doing that week. You've got experience in that. You're a football coach. Uh, you've been a parent on the sideline. You've, you've played football for a, a vast amount of your life. Any tips? I think it is one of the areas that exposes our sin the most. And that's a good thing, but we must respond well and rightly to it. And let's not be mistaken that just because somebody's on the sideline 
conducting themselves like you were doesn't mean that that's the only person who struggles with sin when yeah. it comes to their kids you can be very quiet on the sideline and wrestle with yeah, sin and good. brokenness uh so i would be less worried about people's behavior and more concerned about their heart on the sideline and how to disciple them through that so yeah so the way i get run it is i coach the team <laughs> <laughs> so you get freedom to shout it so and, i can and call out directions permission to shout at ezra <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll have, I'll have to think about that one. How can I get involved in coaching the team? Maybe that's not the best place for me to go. Um, Josh, over the, the course of these past few episodes, we've been studying the, the book of Nehemiah as a church uh, in our sermon series. And until recently, the major focus of that sermon series has been about the, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. That's been the kind of direction, that's been the mission of Nehemiah. But then we got to chapter six, didn't we, where... The walls are finished. And in many ways, the Nehemiah's mission, the purpose that he came back to Jerusalem has come to completion. But yet the book continues all the way up to chapter 13, um, as God's people need to be rebuilt. Now, whenever you were preaching through, uh, was it chapter seven? And we had that beautiful moment where actually we saw the, the women of our church praying for the men of the church, that they grow in, in godly leadership and, and being a godly man, being the man that God has called them to be and building a gospel legacy for generations to come. And it was so amazing. I was just standing there receiving that, but also witnessing that in the context of our congregation. And it was a glimpse, I think, of, of seeing God's people being rebuilt. So Nehemiah is all about rebuilding the, the walls and the people of Jerusalem. So what's it going to look like for God's people here and now, Cornerstone Wirral, uh, being rebuilt, being restored, being renewed. That's the tagline that we've been using. What's it going to look like in the here and now, in the everydayness of life? Well, if you think about think about the first six chapters like this, Nehemiah had to create the environment for God's people to flourish. And the environment was not in a particular way in which they could flourish. And that environment in their times was the walls in the city were in ruins and they had to be rebuilt. And from that once that was sorted out, they could then flourish in this context. Think about that in our days. Sometimes there are things in our lives. There's things in our own uh, livelihood that are actually hindering us from flourishing as the people of God. Sometimes we need to stop and take stock of our lives and consider what are the things in my lives right now that are hindering me from flourishing as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That might mean certain relationships need to end. That might mean certain things in your life need to go, need to be removed. It could be things to do with time. It could be things to do with money. It could be things to do with kids, just like you say. Are we being overtaken by our kids' activities and what they're doing? And actually we need to assess that. So I think, think about the first six chapters like that. If you're struggling to think about what's this wall look like in my life, think about it more like that. What is the environment that you're in, in your life? And is it helping you flourish or is it hindering you? And then from there, once you've maybe thought about that and processed that and grown in that, you could then get to work about, okay, how do I flourish? What is the right things in my life that's going to help me flourish? And it's very easy to reel those off. You know, so it is quite simply get stuck into God's word. Uh, think about how you praise and worship him in your life. Uh, think about culture of prayer in your life. Think about the community that you're in, the relationships that you're in. Are the people that you are around spurring you on to become more like Jesus? Or are they seeking to divide you and distract you away from Jesus? Uh, think about those things. There's, there's, there's lots of things like that, but I think you want to be cultivating healthy spiritual habits 
that are going to help you flourish. And the first place you really got to begin is discipline in God's word, prayer, growing in communion relationship with Jesus, through his word, by the spirit, and doing that with other people who will help spur you along in that journey. Yeah. So, so upholding, standing firm in, fixing our eyes upon, um, considering Jesus, um, particularly as we read through God's word, ensures that we have the right culture of worship. We, we're looking to him as opposed to other things. So as we can worship him, when our lives are wholly devoted to him, when our lives are wholly treasuring him, it's then that we get to reflect the glory of God beyond ourselves and to the world around us. So this, it's, it's not a private thing. It's not something that you just do in the, the context of your, your own home. It is that, but it isn't just a public thing either. It's not just a, I, I, I come and in the midst of all the other people that are doing this, this is what I do. It's an all of life thing. It's, it's blending all of that together into every facet of life. Um, I, I loved how you kind of explored that in chapter eight of Nehemiah when you focused on the Feast of the Booths, that kind of example of the, the kind of standing firm in God's word, standing in obedience to God's word and worshiping in light of the of God's word. And you kind of highlighted a few different points from that Feast of the Booths example. Do you want to just expand on that a little bit for us? Because I thought that was really helpful. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so I think the the worst thing we could do as Christians is to compartmentalize our spirituality, our faith. And that's where we end up in, in struggles and troubles. So we think, okay, I commit uh, in my week, a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning to Jesus. And then on a Monday morning and a Tuesday morning, I devote my life to my work and I devote my life after uh, in the evening to these particular activities, these particular people. And it's all compartmentalized. And what the Feast of Booths, I think, helped us understand was that not only was it telling a story to Israel of their, of their own history, of how God brought them out of Exodus and brought them into the wilderness and how they dwelt in temporary shelters, which were always a foretaste of them inheriting the land and the city of Jerusalem, which was always a signpost to us today saying, we are temporary residents here on earth. We are passing through to our heavenly dwelling, our permanent dwelling, which is home with the Lord. And so, so that's what the over, overarching picture of the Feast of the Booze are doing. But then you see quite interestingly, the places in which they're instructed to build those. So it's on the house, on the rooftops. So, so firstly, I'm not to compartmentalize my life. I'm to realize that I am part of God's people in my home. This begins in the home. Who am I in the home? Uh, am I living out uh, my faith in the home? And then it moves to the courtyard. It moves into the context of uh, those around me. And then it, it moves into the temple court as I live out my faith in the midst of God's people. And then it moves into the marketplace where I live out uh, who I am in the context of the world as I make Jesus known. So so the, the helpful way of thinking about this is I'm a Christian who who resides in a home and whatever context that is for you, you might be, you might be a single person. You might share a home with other people. You may uh, be married. You may have kids. So it's, it's not, these are not different hats that we wear. These are rather contexts in which we actually live out our faith. They're actually the responsibilities and the spheres of influence that I live out my Christian. So we are primarily and only 
Christians. We are Christ's own. We are his people. And we carry that with us into whatever context we find ourselves in the home, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, in the temple courts, in God's people. That's who we are. And we express that wherever and whatever context we find ourselves in. I think that's a huge shift for people who are Christians and they struggle with that. And I think that's the thing we're going to be praying into that we would grow in that, that wherever we are, when I'm in the workplace, it's not that, it's not that my Christian faith is secondary. It's realizing that I've been given that job primarily to be a Christian and influence it there. I'm not there primarily to earn a wage, to pay for my home and to pay for the food on the table. You're primarily there as Christ's own. Mm. You know, it's like when I go to the gym, you're... When well, you go to the gym, how often I go is that? The gym, I go once a year. <laughs> uh, and so when you go to the gym, it's like, it's like you're not primarily going there to make your body healthy. You're primarily there because you're Christ's own. So go exalt that. When you go for coffee, when you go for a walk, or when you do leisure activities, when you hang out with friends, you are there primarily as Christ's own. So therefore carry with you the culture of Christ, the culture of the gospel with you, wherever you find yourself and let that overflow into those contexts. So when you're standing on the side of the football pitch while your kid is playing whatever sport it is, you're not you're not taken over by these desires, these sinful desires, where you're more concerned about the result and the performance of your child than you are their heart and the witness of all those around you. You become more concerned about the things of Christ than the things of the world. It means that you're actually liberated to enjoy the things of the world because your joy isn't defined by the outcome of those things, but rather because your your joy is defined by the outcome of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his victory, his eternal and eternality, because that is true, you're free to have joy no matter where you find yourself. And I think that's that's what's happening in those verses. Yeah. It's interesting because that like really goes against the the culture of the world where there's a sense of even trying to strive for permanence in the here and now. So we're trying to fix up our our lives because we're we're sensing not eternity to come, but actually that we want to make ourselves permanent in the in this moment. And and so we're we're building our homes. We're and we we saw that even with Haggai. And that's what he was really catching the people doing, they were, they were building their homes. They were paneling their houses with beautiful decoration inside. Um, and not thinking about the, the eternal ramifications of, of the, the temple of, of the city, of the walls of the people. How do we grow in this? Because that's, that's the, that's the big question, isn't it? If we, this is where we are and this is where we are in this moment, how do we grow to, to change our perspective? How do we grow to to live for Christ in all that we do. I think again, it sounds quite simple, doesn't it? But it's, it's knowing Christ more. So do you know what you believe? So have you got a clear conviction, a clear grasp biblically on these things? You know, is what I've just said, what you believe? You know, you know, is what I've just said, actually what you believe, actually what you hold to, are you convinced biblically that this is true? Because if it's not the issue in the first place to start is a knowledge issue you don't actually know what it means. So actually you need to be taught. You need to ask somebody in your gospel communities, can you teach me these things of Christ? Cause I don't actually know these. So that's a knowledge thing. That's a simply, I just don't know that this is what was meant to, this is what it meant to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So if it's not an it, but if it's not a knowledge issue, then it becomes an obedience issue. So do you know what you believe? Yes. 
but you don't believe what you know. And that's an obedience issue. You're not living out what you say you believe. And that's where, for example, hypocrisy comes in. That's where, where, for example, people say, well, you say you believe this, but you're not living this out. And it's not merely a simply, uh, I'm striving for, but I'm just never going to attain it because I'm not perfect and fallen. I'm sinful. That's, that's not that issue. It's actually a disobedience issue. It's actually that I know this is true. I've heard it t- preached. I've heard people encourage me in it. I've read it in God's word. I actually know that it's there. And then it's a case of you're willfully going against what you know you believe. And so that's a disobedience issue. And that's a real matter of the heart. That's where mere behavior modification is not going to help. That's where genuine heart transformation needs to begin. And how does that begin? It's a work of the spirit that revives the soul. And as we see in chapter eight, what revived the souls of the people was a hunger for God's word. It was in God's word. They learned that they weren't walking in his ways. And then that's why it became so encouraging that they said, we must go and do this. We must obey. They did it all. It said they did all that they had heard Ezra teach. And so that's, that's the distinction for me. Is it a knowledge issue? You need more knowledge and then you got to put it into practice. If it's not a knowledge issue, it's a, it's a matter of obedience. You have to live out what you know you believe. And that's a real challenge. And that's maybe back to where we started. You know, what are the things in your life that are hindering you from obeying God and his words? So start there and then ask for help. Ask for accountability and ask for people to come alongside you and pray and look and to ask. That's a really important part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was, as, as I kind of walked through chapter eight, I'm really really in awe of the fact that it's the people that actually call for the law to be read out to them. They, they don't know it and they ask for help. They ask for someone to come and read it. They ask for Ezra to come and read it to them. Um, and, and then there's people who are also helping them in the midst of that to understand it, to, to, to bring it into their context, to help them understand it in the midst of what they're going through. And as they hear and receive that law, just as you said, there's mourning. They, they mourn the fact that they haven't upheld what it means to be a people of God. And yet in response to that, and um, they're called to, to see it as a joyful thing. Their, their conviction of, of sin is to be a joyful thing because it shows that the spirit is, is at work amongst them. It is, he is doing, God is doing something in their midst, transforming them. Um, and I think oftentimes we, we come and we think as we come to, to read God's word and we, we hear God's word and we feel that conviction and that weightiness of sin in our lives. We sometimes get stuck in the, oh, I'm, I'm just not good enough. I'm not, I'm just not able to grow in this. I'm not able to change. I'm not, I'm just not able to be transformed. How, cause that's, there's a knowledge aspect of that. There's a heart aspect of that. Is there something else? It's just, is that just the obstacles that hinder us? What might that be? Yeah. It can often may be, help someone in that. It could often be, uh, symptomatic of our culture in this instantaneous culture. And so we define success over a very short period of time. It's mm. like, oh no, I was convicted by sin on Sunday. Oh, it's Monday lunchtime. Ah, oh, why is this not sorted out? Yeah. And it's, it's a struggle to understand that obedience is a, is a lifelong journey. Uh, we will not be perfected until we see our savior face to face. What a glorious day that will be. And so it's that reality of, of actually I've got to walk in, a, in the same direction of, of a long obedience in the power of the spirit and trust him as he does his work in me. And that when those things are exposed, brought to the surface, we do the right thing, which is respond in repentance as the people do. They mourn over their sin, but then yeah, we are moved to joy. And that, that's, that's, 
that's a combination of all those things you said. We we know the gospel. Yeah. We know that our sin is paid for. It no longer enslaves us to a life of misery and death. Rather, it releases us to a life full of joy and exuberance in the reality that while I'm a great sinner, Christ is a great savior. And actually my sin cannot outsin his mercy and his grace, that he's, he is working that in us and through us by the spirit. And so actually we need to spur one another on to that. We, we're not, I think, I think one of the greatest dangers is when somebody comes and confesses sin, like our, rather than our response being, um, isn't Christ great? He's paid for your sin. We say, oh yeah, me too. Yeah. And we end up with this pity party about trying to compete against who's the worst sinner. <laughs> Paul says that in Romans, doesn't he? What a great sinner I am. Yeah. I'm because, the chief of sinners. Yeah. And, and, but he doesn't stay there. Yeah. He goes on to write the rest of Romans and it's like, wow, look at the, look at the mercy of God in mm. view of our sin. And so we've got to be quick to run to Christ. You know, we, we've experienced conviction of sin. We confess and we repent of it and we run quickly to Christ because he has paid for our sin. And we walk in the liberty of who we are, seeking to put on the things of Christ. We don't, Christ doesn't call us to stay in mourning, but, but rather he calls us to, to experience the freedom of life and life to the full in the spirit. So I think that's, that's what we're really talking about here is how do we, maturity for me is, is, is the sign of somebody who's quick to reconcile those, those mm. tensions. Mm. Somebody who's quick to, quick to repent and not wallow, quick to run to Christ and doesn't stay stuck. Uh, and that is a combination of maturity, yeah, uh, of knowledge and action, and also a combination of community who help us lift our eyes off our sin to the cross and Christ has paid for it. And quick to see that, yeah, we are, we are aliens and strangers here in this world. Yeah. And that we are headed to an eternity with him. And one day we will no longer sin or even have the, the desire to sin. And because eternity is true and because eternity is eternity, it's long. <laughs> Therefore, we should live in this short, this short life span here on earth in light of eternity, not the other way around. Yeah. Over the past number of, of weeks, I suppose, we've been encouraging people to, to come and ask for help. We've been, we've, we said that today. For the person that they ask, sometimes that can be a little bit scary. Like, and we have this, this humility of, well, I, I don't know everything there is to know. Um, how do, how do we encourage one another to do that? I, th I think sometimes we have this mindset that it's, it's a big, hard academic task when the reality is that we want to encourage people to point people to Jesus, to consider Jesus, to, to look at, uh, in view of his mercies just open up the Bible with someone, journey through that with them. Think of what maybe you've been reading as you kind of devotionally are spending time with Jesus. What is it? What, what, what has been helpful to you in those times? Um, I, I love this piece of advice that I got years ago. Um, someone asks you a question and if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know, but let me think about it and I'll come back to you on that. I think sometimes we, we get stuck on the trying to form an answer that actually isn't necessarily all that helpful or all that clear. Um, but the reality is follow up on that conversation uh, say, look, I don't know the answer to that right now. Let me come back to you, have another coffee with them the following day or the following week or whatever, uh, and dig into that a little bit more, start building into that. 
follow up and keep that conversation going. It's not a, it's not a one conversation fix. It never will be. We've got all of our lives. It's that slow progression of sanctification working together and um, to make that happen, to point each other to Jesus. But is there anything else you would add to that? Any, any other helpful? Yeah, I think, I think we don't understand ourselves. I mean, quite generally as humanity. So we are, because of the enlightenment uh, period, our understanding as Westerners of how we gain knowledge and information is very academic. So we think we have to, ha- we have to go on a four year degree to be able to mm. speak the truths of the gospel. That is a Westernized mindset and thinking, not a biblical one. And so we have to be very conscious and aware of that. And so therefore we, we want to fight against that to realize that what it means to acquire knowledge and to help other people grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, even though it does not require an academic textbook, it doesn't require a degree. It doesn't require a course, um, that becomes burdensome and laborsome rather We'd love to see people grow in the organic nature of sharing, sharing God's word with one another, uh, informally, formally through the week, texting, calling, voice notes, meeting up for a coffee, uh, just taking those simple truths and relaying them to one another and helping each other live them out. We, yeah. we really want to fight for that and not this academic culture that can ostracize and isolate many people who feel like they're not academic. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. There's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it, but it, it isn't in the, in the normal everyday culture of yeah, the church. Yeah. It's, it's actually, now that you've said that, it's been striking as I've been reading stuff over the course of the week, as I've been in, in God's word, there's been moments where I've been like, oh, that person's come to mind. And I kind of either texted them or, or prayed for them in that moment or, or, or shared a, a voice note of a prayer with them in that moment. And then they come back to me a few days later saying how encouraging that was. And that's, that's simply like through God's word, not reading anything specifically about them or, or how to speak to them, but actually the spirit just kind of, Chris, why don't you pray for that person in the midst of this? Um, and, and how encouraging that it was. And that was just an everyday thing. That was nothing, nothing special, nothing academic, no profound words. It was just my words. Um, but yet comforting and, um, consoling in, in moments of suffering. And that culture will, in your life will be lacking if you compartmentalize your life. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so if you only ever pick up your Bible on a Sunday, when I say grab your Bible and turn to chapter eight of Nehemiah, yeah, then you're not going to experience that. And that's not anyone else's responsibility. That's just a simple personal responsibility and discipline to be in, to be in God's word, mm. not just to be in God's word for yourself, as you say, but for the sake of others. Mm. That's a great encouragement to be part of God's word, to encourage others. So what about you guys? As you've been listening, what's the one thing that you'd like to ask for help? Is it reading God's word? Is it understanding God's word? Is it, is it praying? Is it sharing the good news of the gospel? Is it discipling others, maybe kids, people in your gospel community, people in your life? Is it being able to share your faith uh, with those in the workplace? What is that just one thing that you'd like to ask for help with? I would love you guys to do me a favor. I would love you to share that one thing with us and because we'd love to be praying for you and we'd love to be supporting you and helping you if we can in that. Um, why don't you send us an email at chris at cornerstonechurchworld.org or ask us or tell us uh, over the course of the week. Uh, we would love to, to have that conversation with you. But then secondly, I would love you to ask someone in your life for help with that. Perhaps it's someone in your gospel community. Maybe it's a friend within the church or, or even one of the leaders. 
ask for help and let's grow in this together. Let's grow in this together as we seek to rebuild and restore and renew as God's people for the glory of his name and the salvation of the lost. So that's my, that's, that's my challenge to you guys. Would It would be great if you could do that. That would be so cool. That would be so cool to do. Now, Josh, we've got some exciting things happening this week at Cornerstone World um, with some friends from the States coming over. Uh, could you just whet our appetites a little, tell us what's going to be happening and maybe even how it could be formative for us as a church? Yeah, so we got a friend coming over called Jeff Metters, along with two other friends, Tim Bice, Zach Morgan. Uh, they're coming over from the States to help me run some training for Acts 29 uh, next week uh, at a conference in Liverpool and then training assessors. So they're coming over to help me. So I, of course, shoehorned them into, hey, why don't you come to church and, uh, and why don't you come and help us and speak to us and encourage us in the Lord? Uh, so Jeff uh, is going to kind of take a lead on that. He's going to preach for us on, on Sunday morning. Uh, so we'd love you guys all to to be there and to to be encouraged by him. Uh, me and him have chatted a couple of times over the last few weeks. Um, we haven't actually come up with like what the title is, but I've formed the title. Uh, I've I've asked him to encourage us in our church planting aspirations and journey. Just a bit of a one off uh, to along the lines of it takes it takes a church to plant the church to help all of us see our role in church planting, as we think about that as a church in the coming years and what that might mean, he's going to help us in that from the book of Acts. And then in the evening, he uh, is going to speak to all the men of the church. Uh, so fellas, we want, we want to be there Sunday night, half past seven at church. Uh, he's going to, he's going to help us as men understand what it means to be a spiritual man, uh, thinking about how, how we need to engage with, with doctrine, how we need, uh, our affections captured and how we need to actually then embody that. Um, but, but really the focus of our evening will be how to grow as men of prayer. We thought about a lot about that recently. I think, uh, obviously in chapter seven, we spent some time thinking about the guys and what that means for us as men to, to, to be growing in godliness. And so I think this is really your next step. Uh, come to this and to be encouraged and edified as we consider what it means to grow as men of prayer. Uh, we, we were so blessed being prayed for by all the ladies in the church. Now we get to be a blessing as we get to grow as men of prayer. So yeah, that's, that's what Sunday's going to look like Sunday morning, Sunday night. Looking forward to that. It should be a great, great time together. That's amazing. That's all on the 19th of March. Um, and so it's going to be a great time of fellowship together. Well, that's just one more thing for this week. We hope you find it useful. It's been so encouraging to read and hear your responses to the recent episodes. Do keep sharing them with us. We love serving you guys. And if you've enjoyed this episode, go on, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Talk about it with your friends and others who might find it useful as well. God bless and we'll catch you soon for just one more thing.